Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, Dr. Hondorb here, and I'm really glad that you are listening today. I am not one for dramatic statements. If you know me, you know that that's true. At the same time, listening to this episode or information that we're going to talk about today could save your life or the life of someone that you love. Let me explain. We're going to be talking today about sort of the weight-inclusive approach within healthcare and really the role of weight bias in healthcare and how it can truly be deadly because particularly because things can and do get missed when we overfocus on weight. And so today's episode is going to talk about what this means and how an overfocus on weight can do that. And we're going to talk about it from the standpoint of someone with a physician status, someone with an MD, Dr. Landis is truly a unicorn and She has a really fascinating story about how she came to this work really only recently in her career, only within the past five years after a diagnosis of cancer. So today's episode was an Ask the Expert episode, which means that people inside our Body Respect Program community were able to pre-submit questions for her to answer. So we were able to get questions that I think you're going to be really interested in the answers to. We cover a lot. It's a longer episode, but we cover some of the questions like, I feel like being in a smaller body is the only way to improve my mobility. What are your thoughts about this? I want to lose weight to improve my pain. How do you suggest I do this? Is it really healthy not to focus on weight loss if you have X health condition, heart disease, diabetes, cancer, hepatic adenomas. We cover a lot of different things. And at the end, we really dive into how to make sure you have a optimal healthcare team or how do you work with what you have and make sure your physicians and healthcare team isn't missing any root causes. So we leave you with some practical tips to navigate this system as well. So I'm really excited. Uh, I laugh a lot in this episode. Dr. Landis is very funny. She used a phrase that I still think is so funny. Um, She said, I I really have a a bee in my bonnet about something. So make sure you listen to that part. It's a great episode and um, can't wait to dive in with you. Do you ever worry that you're wasting your life? I definitely did. 
In fact, I wrote that in my journal many years ago when I was in the middle of the diet binge roller coaster ride. I woke up every day thinking about food, my body, and what I would eat that day to quote unquote be healthy. The notebooks I had filled with calories and points could fill up a spare bedroom. Social events and vacations immediately prompted the thought they will notice I've gained weight or I need to lose weight by then. Deep down, I knew I wasn't living life the way I wanted to, but I didn't know how to pull myself out of it. If this is you, I want you to imagine what it would feel like to feel empowered in your body and proud of your choices on a consistent basis. I promise you this is possible and it isn't too late. You see, dieting steals our motivation. It makes us ineffective and lose faith in ourselves. It keeps us spinning our wheels in a system that was never built to work. If you're ready to take that first step to motivating yourself with what matters to you, download my Cultivate Powerful Motivation Guide, which is quite beautifully designed if I say so myself, and walk through the simple three steps to cultivate motivation that works for you in 15 minutes or less. You'll get a simple formula to write one sentence at the end that you can use to motivate yourself on a daily basis. You can write this sentence on your bathroom mirror, put it on the background of your phone, or just read it and repeat it in your mind consistently. Look, I know how much it hurts to live a life worrying that you're missing out, not stepping into the person that you were truly meant to be. You can listen to the podcast all day, but taking that first step, putting pen to paper or typing on your phone, is required for true lasting change. It's time to start living, my friend. So it's 100% free. What are you waiting for? Grab your free guide today at drhondorp.com forward slash motivate. That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash motivate. And before we dive into today's episode, just a reminder that this podcast and corresponding blog are for informational and educational purposes only and should not ever be construed as any form of professional advice. If you are struggling in any of these areas or trying to figure out how this applies to your specific situation, always consult a professional for guidance. All right, let's dive in. All right, welcome back everyone to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. I am super excited to be interviewing Dr. Maggie Landis today. We have a lot to get to. Dr. Landis, thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm so excited to have you. Well, thank you for inviting me. I love talking to new audiences and these ideas that um, we have to discuss today are so relevant to everybody. I just, there's not a person who's not going to understand exactly (laughs) what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And and I mentioned to you before we hit record that you are either the first or one of the very first physicians that is really aligned with this weight inclusive approach. And I'm super excited to talk to you and get your knowledge and expertise. So before we dive into all our great questions that we've had, particularly a lot of direct questions today from our body respect community, which is super exciting. But first we're gonna delve into your personal story a bit, kind of how you have evolved in your own relationship to food and how you came to doing this work. So. Where would you Let's, like to start? Well, with <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll make this brief. It's a journey through time. I guess I just turned 45 last week. So I'm in my mid forties. Happy birthday. Yes. Well, thank you. And, uh, that being said, that means I grew up through the eighties and nineties, which was heyday diet culture. In fact, I don't think we recognized it as diet culture per se, because it just was, that was the norm. Like I started drinking 
you know, slim fast cans when I was in high school, not because I was told to, but every other 16 year old girl did that for breakfast. So that's just, mm-hmm. it was, just I did like that, that as well, actually, but um, yeah, it's just a like little, a thing. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Not that yeah, long you after. Just, it was mm-hmm. not, I don't think we perceived ourselves as dieting. That was just eating. Right. That was just, so I just want to give you that framework of that's the mm-hmm. culture I grew up in. You know, mm-hmm. this is like, we are always micromanaging our food and our bodies and pursuing uh, smallness. That's kind of the universal feminine goal, right? Well, I, I've always wanted to be a physician my whole life since I was itty bitty bitty, went to college, went to medical school. And, um, this was in the late nineties when I went to medical school and it's like, you just don't question everything, right? You don't, you're not cynical at the time because in medical school, you're, there's so much information coming. So if, you know, a professor with a bow tie and white hair at the front of the lecture hall tells you that fat people die faster and eating fat is bad. You just like say, okay. And you keep going (laughs) because you're drinking from a fire hose at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the clinical medicine in this country and many other, you know, developed areas is a weight biased practice. It is a diet culture influenced practice. And anybody who tells you that there is no outside influence is just delusional. So the deal is, I don't, I'm not here to throw doctors under the bus. Trust me. Okay. I'm a doctor. I'm not here to like throw all my colleagues under the bus, but the reason that there's so few of me in the world with this viewpoint is, um, I kind of look at it like threefold. One, one part is the education is not, uh, I mean, it's just not inclusive. We have a weight centered biased, stigmatized, you know, sort of framework that we learn everything through mm-hmm. number two, we're just people like doctors. I mean, you can say we're doctors. We're just like people, right? So we are influenced by our own personal interaction with the environment. And, and we look at the same internet, read the same books on the same, everything. And so we bring some of that to our practice, of course. And then the setting that we practice in is so broken these, as you know, these conversations that we need to be having with patients take time and take space, um, both actual and metaphorical. And it's just when you have to see a patient every six and a half minutes so that you can pay to keep your lights turned on, there's only so many things you can do in that, uh, constrained environment. So it's just not set up for this to catch on is what I'm saying, I guess, in, mm-hmm. in short. Yep. And I'll tell you what I practiced in a very diet culture lens, because that's what I believed personally. That's what I was taught professionally. And here's what happened. So I turned 40, I got cancer two months after my 40th birthday. So we're now going on five years ago. And I look at it like a blessing in disguise because I was forced to be out of work for about six months while I was getting treatment. And I decided, now this is my diet culture brain talking. I said, I'm going to find the perfect human diet right now. Like I've been dieting my whole life, but I'm going to find it the one right now, because I'll be darned if I'm going to die of something that I could have prevented. All right. That was my thinking. Mm -hmm. Well, I start reading. I mean, like really researching, like you know, PubMed kind of thing, not Instagram kind of thing. And, (laughs) and I realized, wait a second, there is really not science to support all this like weight centered, you know, 
clinical practice that I had been taught. Like it's all taken out of context. It's all put in this marketing diet, cultural, you know, social lens. And when I started really learning about this, like health at every size and intuitive eating and this like weight inclusive approach to human care and physiology, I was like, this is actually the truth. So I totally, oh, and here's, but here's what happened. Okay. Really, to be honest, I doubted myself at first. Cause I thought no way, everything I've learned is wrong or biased. Mm-hmm. There's just no way. Yeah. So I thought maybe I'm behind, like at this point I had been out of school for like 15 years. So I'm thinking I must've not like kept up or something. Right. <laughs> so I did what any good Enneagram three does is I enrolled in graduate school. <laughs> that's, me too. <laughs> that's what we do. Instead of just like looking for an answer, we, we could have gotten like a library card, but instead we enroll in graduate school because for fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I went back, so I got a master's in nutrition, but this is just now, like I went back to school like four years ago, um, thinking, thinking that I was going to learn like the new way and that I would basically find out that I was the problem. I was the outlier and everything else had changed and I just hadn't kept up. Well, spoiler alert. No, uh, this is now four years ago. And these are all people like masters of nutrition that are going to go and take the RD exam and be dietitians and stuff. And I kid you not, there's a textbook that was published in 2016 has a picture of the food pyramid in it. And I'm like, this makes no sense. It makes no sense that the sort of nutritional sciences don't evolve. Like we are using information and repeating stuff from 40, 50, 60 years ago, like it is biblical truth. And everybody just says, okay, like they, they just sort of take it at face value. And so that's where I was like, oh no, 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 no. This is not okay. This is not okay with me personally. This is not okay with me professionally. And this should not be okay for us collectively as a group of healthcare providers. So then I sort of like, and and, you know, to be honest, I had to more or less leave my clinical practice to pursue this platform because like I said, the constraints of clinical practice are, I mean, doctors really have their hands tied in a lot of respects. So Mm -hmm. that's how I came to this space. So I've only been sort of in this space for a handful of years. Um, and yes, I have a medical degree and 20 years of experience. And yes, I have a master's in nutrition and neither of which taught me anything that I now, you know, teach and <laughs> believe in incredible. crazy. Really? Right. But I'll tell you what, had I not had cancer, this whole thing is from having cancer because had I not had cancer and done that deep dive kind of independent study, mm-hmm. I would still be probably in a clinic somewhere handing out pictures of the food pyramid. (laughs) I mean, I really truly would have never changed because I would have not been motivated to change. I wouldn't have seen a need to change, but now from the outside. So the thing I tell people all the time is once you see this non-diet approach, it is like emerging from the matrix and you you cannot unsee it. I was just going to say, yeah, you can't unsee it. You can't often tell people I'm sorry, but not sorry. Cause yeah, good, but yeah, nobody ever has probably listened to you or listened to me. And I've never had anybody come back six months later and say, you know what, Maggie, I totally forgot when you say diet culture, what do you mean exactly? Could you like explain that again? Like, no, it is Mm -hmm. immutable burned into our brains. Like there's just no way not to see it. And it Mm -hmm. is everywhere. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So the, the motivation of doing this is I don't want this. Like, I hope this becomes a historical footnote. Like, I hope that in 10 years, 20 years, like your podcast and my podcast and my coaching and all this stuff is like gone. And there's like no conversation and there's like no point. And it's just like, I have a 13 year old daughter. I'd love for her not to be having the same talk in 30 years when she's my age, I'd like it to kind of like us to really change. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it will. I think it will. Mm -hmm. I mean, every crazy social change starts with somebody crazy enough to like really just pursue it. Yeah. And I see it happening. It's not fast enough that I would like, you know, Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious. What was it about? You said you were diagnosed with lymphoma. Do you know what it was about that diagnosis? Besides, I know you said like search for the perfect diet and the research, was that kind of what propelled finding this or was there anything else specifically about the cancer? Well, you know, it wasn't anything about the cancer specifically. It was just that forced pause because honestly, I had always like looked at my own nutrition, like my personal nutrition, like, you know, I'm like joining these little plans and download this app and read this book and drink this shake. And I was sort of like, "Eh, okay, makes sense. On a real superficial level. Mm -hmm. It does make sense. That's why there's so much appeal. These, these people that are marketing this stuff, they're not dumb. I mean, they know what to say to make it sound real because we're not all, we're not dumb and they're not dumb. So Mm -hmm. I, that was the first time in that sort of forced pause when I was not just reading like the headline and the one book that some one random person wrote, I was like reading the research and saying, wait a second, this is a study about weight loss and they only follow people up for 12 weeks. Like that's Uh not like, that's not legitimate or here's a study where 80% of the people dropped out and then they published the results. Well, that's not good science. I mean, when you really Mm -hmm. learn how to scrutinize science and see, here's the problem. I don't, uh, you know, I don't expect everybody. Everybody is not like you and I, like everybody is not academically inclined. They don't want to read PubMed and look at the P values of these results. Like, and that's okay. Yeah. But we, people like you and I, I feel like have a professional obligation to make sure that when we translate that into an article or a podcast or a book or something that it's, it is actually fact Mm -hmm. and we can discern what is a hypothesis and what is fact. And, you know, and it's just, um, it's so messy because the diet culture is a, it's a business model it's not a healthcare system. Right. And we misunderstand that and misinterpret that all the time. Mm-hmm. Those, mm-hmm. those two things are not the same. Well, and even what's, yeah, what's interesting is like uh, a lot of what I did was research in the field of like psychological strategies for behavioral weight management. And, and even just the, the obligation as someone who did that research from a diet lens and, and, has like certainly some like regrets about how we did, did things, but also helping to communicate that to the public, right. Of like this, this research is done through these lenses. And even like when we're, it's interesting because when you're in the research, we actually talk about how ineffective our strategies are, but it's like the, the research, the next research study is like, let's just do a little tweak versus looking at the system and saying like, 
no, this doesn't, this paradigm doesn't well, work. Yeah. It doesn't. Well, it's really hard. It's, it's really hard for somebody to say what they think might be proven wrong. And as, especially if you're the one that created the idea in the first place mm-hmm. and that's okay. That's like a human condition to like, not want to say, I'm sorry, I miss, I mess it messed up. This is wrong. I looked at this the wrong way. We don't even want to do that when we're like arguing with our spouses about how to load the dishwasher. Like, you know, we just, we want to be right the first time everybody does. And I think that is emphasized even more in academics. And so it's hard for a doctor who has been telling their patients to lose weight for 10, 20, 30 years of practice to then be like, okay, I'm going to stop weighing my patients. Like that's just too much of a paradigm shift for them to even like start consuming that idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, it doesn't make it right though. That's the problem is that it's, I understand that. Okay. But that being said, it's still not right. Yeah. To, to, to not practice. Like that. And, yeah. Right. Exactly. So many of the things we're doing are, are not effective. So yeah, that is very, very important. And like, and, and just kind of fascinating how much, and, and certainly I can relate to this, like how much formal education we can get in these direct fields and yet know so little and right well and we here's the thing is that with like I said nutrition science it is like exempt from evolving it's so weird because you would not feel comfortable going to a doctor and having them use 50 or 60 year old surgical equipment or using chemotherapy from 50 years ago or anything else that we do But because some guy said that we should eat a certain way in 1945, we are still telling our patients that now. And I don't even blame, honestly, the guy from 1945 as much because he was doing what he knew how to do at the time. And with the amount of, you know, technology and knowledge he had, like, we've got to understand that our knowledge of how the body works and particularly how it interacts with food and and that sort of stuff is like, we're learning more. And it's okay to learn more. And if you learn something new that sort of contradicts what you used to think, that's okay. They used to think that earth was flat. They used to think that the sun revolved around the earth. They used to think we had humors in our body. They used to think all kinds of stuff that we no longer think. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. And that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. It, you have to be able to accept that. I think that's part of being a scientist. And when you're just stagnant and um, rigid, that doesn't help the field at all. You know, and it certainly doesn't help our patients if we're interacting with patients. Yes. And I think what's, and actually I'd I'd love to ask you one more question, then we'll dive into the specific questions. But this idea of, I came to some of my like more plant focused nutrition and for education after I sort of moved away from diet cultures from a more weight inclusive lens. And I was able to sort of incorporate stuff that makes sense. But then it's so hard, I think, for people to think about like, how do I move towards health promoting behaviors? with again, this weight inclusive approach. And I think if, I think some of our questions are going to kind of touch on that generally, like, what do we know about nutrition? What don't we not in a rigid way? Right. But how can we use what we do know, um, in, in a way that is helpful and, and health promoting and, and really empowering versus just right. Cause see, that's the, that is the misunderstanding of somebody who's hearing about health at every size for the first time is they think, Oh, come on. That's just like a free for all. Like you're telling me that what you eat doesn't matter and you can eat anything you want and you'll be healthy. It's like, no, 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 no. That is, that is, you're totally misinterpreting this. It is not Mm -hmm. saying 
everybody who eats anything they want at all times is always healthy. That's not what health at every size is. You know, Mm -hmm. what it's saying is that health and health promoting behaviors can be taken on and attained in any size body. Like basically size and health are what we would call independent variables. They are nearly independent variables. So one can be skinny and healthy. One can be large and healthy. One can be skinny and unhealthy. One can be large and unhealthy. And which quadrant you're in is like independent of the other people. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. um, yeah. And, and so it just, it, and people are, they just can't believe that weight loss shouldn't be the highest priority. I mean, because we have been told that, and I don't blame them for thinking, I thought that forever. Like we are told that your health will be better. Your life will be better. Your mind will be better. Your relationships will be better. Your financial status will be better. Your whole entire world will be better. If you would just adhere to some weight loss program, just right. do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but, but people feel trapped. They feel trapped when they're, that's the only way that they see to operate in this food environment. It's miserable. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. miserable. Yeah. Nobody, and yeah, nobody and, mm-hmm. likes it. And certainly nobody likes it for a very long time. Um, but that's our whole, I'm not trying to do something for 10 weeks or 12 weeks or even two years. I'm trying, I'm 45 years old. I hope I'm only like half my life expectancy, you know, mm-hmm. like I would like to do something for 45 more years and it's not going to be counting points and tracking every molecule of food in an iPhone app. No, you don't think so. You think that'd be fun. I don't know. I, I have yet to meet like the 85 year old lady. Who's like still counting weight watchers points from 19, you know, 83. There was probably one out there. They're probably not listening to this podcast, but you yeah. know, I've, I've certainly met people like, and, and actually to the point of like doing this work anytime that, that they've been doing it for a long time and, and actually in their eighties uh, last year, but, it, oh my word. but okay, we, we'll well, we worked on things and I think, I think we made some shifts and, and yeah, but right. But yeah, well, no one who wants to, and looks back and is like, that was a great, you know, that okay. was fun. Yeah. yeah. And let me give you this disclaimer before we get into the questions that I'm not against anybody who wants to willingly participate in a diet. I'm not against the dieter. If you want to diet and you understand that the long-term success rate is about 2% and you want to do it and you're taking on the risk of disordered eating and eating disorders and weight cycling and all this stuff, and you want to pay your money to whatever company, that's fine. Okay. What I don't think is fine is every vulnerable, desperate person doing this and sacrificing everything they have in the name of health. That is predatory and unfair of the diet industry. So Mm -hmm. if you want to diet, then you should diet. You're probably, you know, not interested in listening to Sean and I talk about this very much, then that's fine. You know, (laughs) if you know, it's, you know, this is a free will society. If you know the outcome and the risks, then that's fine. You're an adult, but yeah, the rest of us who want to find something else to do, you know, that's where we're going to go here. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's well, that is, uh, you know, we talk about motivation on this podcast. We talk about autonomous motivation. Autonomous motivation is freedom to choose without excessive pressure. So informed choice, pros and cons of anything we choose to do, whether it's, we talk about yeah. like 
a diet or even like bariatric surgery or like just, yeah, no pressure. Like just, we want to give people more accurate information than we have for the past many, many decades. Right. It's just giving them the actual empowerment to say like, here's the success rate with this or success defined as this right here are the risks. And then, right. And diet culture, like sub build as healthcare. That's my problem. That's what I have a bee in my bonnet about is <laughs> the, the total marriage of those things because they're separate entities, you know, and people don't understand that they're the average consumers in the middle. Uh, like you said, feeling a lot of pressure because they believe their health or healthcare depends on participating in diet culture. That's mm-hmm. what I want to undo unlearn. That's what I do. I'm like a professional unlearner teacher. (laughs) I I really don't have some sort of like magic secret that, (laughs) you know, there's some, like, if there was some like proprietary knowledge that I had that nobody else had, you know, it's not like that. It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm just telling you how to unlearn everything that's false. Yeah. (laughs) It's so like, it's so true. And I I laugh because that's, you know, I think sometimes in my work with people, I've gotten this question of like, cool. So like, don't do this or don't do this. Don't diet. Don't self-criticize, like love yourself. But like, what, what do I do? And of course there are things that we can share that we can, and we'll talk about that. Like what, you know, that you can do, but it's not like secret. It's just, you know, you you can't see those things until your energy, all that other stuff has to get out of the way before you can kind of uncover the actionable items, right? Effective. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I, I don't know, for some reason, I was just laughing at the bee in your bonnet. That's just, <laughs> did that make me it. sound old? That made me sound like I'm like 85 years old. Like I'm the 85 year old lady counting her Weight Watchers points. Kind of, but I, kind I of promise I'm it. only 45. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, so what we're going to do next is we're going to dive into some specific questions. Some of these are like amalgamations of questions I get a lot, but a few of them are specific questions from our uh, community in the body respect program. So I'm super excited to have you here to answer these. So diving into the first question, I want to lose weight to improve my pain. How do you suggest I think about this? So someone with pain or chronic pain, right? And that is one of those things that comes up because people will say, okay, okay, I get it. Health and weight are separate, but there's no way that my knee pain wouldn't get better if I lost X number of pounds or whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, there's a couple, a couple parts to this. One thing is, okay. I'm not denying like the laws of physics. Like if you have more weight on your body, particularly your joints, are doing more physical work, like in physics, Mm -hmm. but pain is not just a product of that, because if that was the only problem, everybody in a large body would have joint pain and nobody in a small body would have joint pain. Mm -hmm. So we know there's more to it than only that. Mm -hmm. So I'm not completely discounting it as a potential contributor, but it's not the whole deal. So the, the bottom line is even if it may play a part, you still can't control your weight. Like you can't do weight. Okay. So this is what I say all the time. It's like your weight is a noun. It's not a verb. You don't like do it. So people say, oh yes, you can, you can do weight. I started walking and I started drinking water and I ate salads. I said, okay, wait, 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 wait. Those things are things you did. Mm -hmm. You didn't 
do the weight. Like we don't just like sit in this chair and say, I'm going to be smaller and do it. Mm -hmm. So what I would say to the person who's asking about that is number one, don't focus on the weight or weight loss being the only solution because it's not the only solution. But I would say what we need to do is craft a, you know, with their provider or their healthcare person, like what are actionable things? Okay. So, uh, is it an issue with flexibility? Like, could we do stretching? Do I need to have different, um, orthotics in my shoes? Do I, I don't know what part of their body is hurting. So I'm just making this up as I go along, but you know, do I need to uh, have a different mattress? Do I need to, um, walk more often? Do I need to drink water? Do I, you know, and like, do if I have go to to physical therapy, if I if I eat less kind of inflammatory foods, you know, like what would it look like if I, you know, added a few vegetables or something now. So those are like doable things. Mm -hmm. And if you started doing, and I, that was just like a little mini list, but you make a list of probably 20 things like that. If you did some of those things, almost certainly your pain would be better whether or not you lost weight. Okay. You potentially might lose weight as a side effect of the actions, but you also might not, but probably your pain would be better. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to discount that physics exists and joints take a lot of stress if you're carrying weight, but at the same time, like, okay. That being said, you still can't like ma- weight loss still doesn't work. Diet still don't work. They still only have like a 2% long-term success rate. So it kind of doesn't matter if it makes a difference or not, you know, mm-hmm. but, yeah. um, it's not to like focus it's- on it. Yeah. yeah. Would you say this is the way I've been thinking about it recently? And you can tell me if this resonates. It's it's a focus on process and actionable items versus outcome. It's a focus. That's exactly on, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just you can only do the things you can do. Yeah. Yep. Like you can't make yourself smaller. I mean, you could you could eat a salad for every meal for six months, and that still doesn't guarantee that you're gonna lose weight. I mean, there's so many things. So. You just mm-hmm. do the things that are doable and your weight is not really like a doable. Now, the problem, I know where this comes from because the person who wrote the question, I bet a dollar that their doctor told them, well, your knees hurt because you need to lose weight. I'm sure. And Probably. we'll, I'll send you to yep. physical therapy after you lose weight. If it's still a problem, like they're, they kind of have this like ransom, like, or you, you have to, to lose weight before you're able to get a surgery for some okay, type of right. Pain. So that, yeah. that's, that's weight bias. That's yeah. weight stigma. That's giving, uh, inequitable care to people depending on the size of their body. So mm-hmm. anyway, so, but I, I, um, don't fixate on it. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not like poo-pooing the whole idea, but what I'm saying is it's like not an actionable task. And the more energy you put in that space, it's going to just backfire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the same thing would go for like pain and mobility, I would say are in a similar category. Correct. Cause actually the next question is feeling like, uh, being in a smaller body is the only way to improve mobility. So it's actually a very, probably a very similar thing, right? Looking at what we well, actually yeah, have control over in these facts. I mean, seriously, there are people in quite large bodies that are like, can put their palms on the floor and do yoga and, yep. you know, all sorts of things. And there's people that, you know, weigh a tiny amount that can't 
turn their head to the side that are like built like two by fours, you know? So they're, it's not the only thing, you know? Um, and, but this is where particularly, um, doctors and physical therapists and stuff, they get so hung up that they don't offer patients any other solution. Like any, any patient in any body deserves the whole complement of possible, you know, interventions. Mm -hmm. And then you see what's going to work, what's within your power to do, what's, you know, you have access to whatever, because I promise you the skinny person with knee pain, the doctors are not standing there like shrugging their shoulders. Like I have no idea. I have no idea what to do. There's nothing to do because I can't tell you to lose weight. And that's the only thing I know to do. Like there is answers for that person too. So if you're in a big body, you need those answers. Yes. And you may have to sort of advocate to get them. Unfortunately, I wish I didn't have to tell you that, but you really have to sort of be your own advocate. Um, yes. And that's actually, um, one of my, the other questions. So that's a, like, um, so, so one of the questions is how do I make sure I have an optimal healthcare team? But I think even beyond that, if you don't have, so maybe strategies to improve your healthcare team with this area would be a good place to start. But then the next question is, what do you do with the healthcare team you have? Right. Right. Well, I mean, the, of course the dream team would be like, you've got a psychologist and a medical doctor and a physical therapist. And all these people are haze aligned and, and weight informed and trauma informed and all this sort of stuff. That is like a fantastical dream. Like nobody's the reality is there's not that many people practicing like that out there. And most people don't have the privilege and the luxury of handpicking who they see for their medical care. I mean, that's just the truth of it. I don't even have that luxury. Right. And I'm a doctor. So, Mm -hmm. so there's a, like, we have to kind of work with what we have in a lot of situations because most people are not going to be able to cherry pick who they get to see, um, to that degree. So, and and this is the thing is there's, this is a lot of what I teach is this navigating a doctor's visit, navigating a diagnosis, um, what that like narrative looks like, what that conversation looks like and developing some resiliency against what you are inevitably going to hear and, and things because it's a weight biased environment. It just is, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. you can tell, I can, you know, like the patients know, like they know the the person who asked that question, you know, if they're in the doctor's office and they feel like they're being treated with respect or they feel like they're kind of getting shafted and they're in their car crying after the visit and they never go back. Cause the worst thing that happens is that people feel so miserable, especially psychologically miserable after a doctor's visit that they don't go back to that doctor. They don't go back to any doctor because that's how to make your health go South in a hot minute is don't get any medical care. And, and see, this is what happens. So people in large bodies that are very significantly weight stigmatized in the healthcare setting, don't go back. They don't go back. Right. Who goes on purpose to be like bullied essentially, you know, and feel miserable about themselves. Mm -hmm. So then they resurface 10 years later, 20 years later with a major problem like cancer, heart failure or something. And we, the medical community, 
like publish a paper that says, look, all the fat people got colon cancer. I told you that if you're fat, you're going to get colon cancer. When really what it is, is they didn't see any doctors for 20 mm-hmm. years because you were so terrible to them when they were there 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and then we use that biased data that we collect to go beat the next generation of people up and say, look, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And system. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so there's have- a lot of, yeah. And, and I don't want, I don't want patients to become adversaries of their healthcare team. Cause like I said, most of the doctors that are practicing in this sort of weight focused way, that's what they were taught to do. They think they truly believe in their heart. They are doing what is in your best interest. They really mm-hmm. do. They're not out to get you. They're not doing this to cause you harm on purpose. They don't know. They literally right. don't know. And they haven't been told and they haven't had a moment to stop and investigate it for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it probably depends on the provider, like where, what you say. Right. But actually, I actually heard you on Jen Racky's podcast. I uh, uh-huh. steal a lot of guests from her podcast. Cause I, I love <laughs> her. Great. Uh, she is so great. And, um, and I think you had said something to the effect of like going in and saying, like, I hear that you're concerned about my weight or something, but like what I really need guidance is on is this and something to that effect. Um, but right, it's it, just like, yeah, so we can yeah, give it's people not, sort of like a takeaway question that they can use. Right. But, well, cause yeah. it's not, like I said, it being disrespectful and antagonistic towards the doctor is not going to go far. We do not right. like no patients one responds that, well to that. <laughs> no one responds. No, the, the waiter at the restaurant doesn't like taking care of you if you're being rude to him either. Like it's just right. how the world works. So sometimes you have to like throw the doctor a little bone, even if it's kind of a concession, like saying, mm-hmm. I hear you want me to lose weight and I'm willing to think about that or something. Just, I mean, just get them to stop. Like, that's all you're like, you don't have to really think about it. You just have to just stop. Right. Yeah. I, I'd like to know what other things. Okay. So let's just say the person who has got the knee pain, right. I hear you're telling me that weight loss may help my knee pain. I'm willing to consider that, but I also would like to know what other things could improve my knee pain. Yeah. Uh, If I was in a smaller body and still had knee pain, what would you tell me? Mm -hmm. If I were to lose weight and still had knee pain, what would you tell me? Okay. And knowing that you're not really going to go try to lose weight because we've talked you out of the dieting, but it's, um, like just to show them that you really want a conversation, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. and they do have expertise in medicine. All right. They just are practicing in a, a way that kind of conflicts with our new inclusive value system. Mm-hmm. but doctors are not bad people, um, by and large. And, uh, except for Dr. Death, I watched that on Netflix. That was, that doctor was bad. He killed, killed a bunch of patients. I have not watched. Because okay. That, yeah. It's bad. But, uh, most doctors excluding most, Dr. Death. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I guess too, I think like, this is something that I can't, once you see it, you can't unsee it leaving the right. medical system. There's so many things that in the medical system, we don't address root cause weight is only one, right? Like yeah. it's, it's oh, a yeah. very important one, but there's so many where we're just a treatment focused system. And so this is a skill I think that would be useful and like 
most uh, visits, right? Of like, sure, I hear you're concerned about this, but I'm also really wanting to understand like root cause and like, do we know anything about root cause? And they may not know, they may not, but at least you've asked this question, and at least then you've maybe gotten their wheels turning of something. So it's right. just a thought I had. There is not a single thing in medicine where there is only one answer. Mm-hmm. There's just not. Mm-hmm. And so if you're only getting one answer and that answer is lose weight, there's, you're, you're missing something yeah. and, and you may have to ask for it if the doctor doesn't offer it is, I guess what I'm getting at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and along these same lines, I'll jump to this next question because, um, this question is about, are there certain conditions that would benefit from losing weight? This person says I was diagnosed with hepatic adenomas and told to lose weight. I find it hard to not focus on the weight loss itself instead of being healthier and the weight loss being a result of that. What are the best ways to lose weight, but not focus all your energy on it? Okay. So really it honestly, to me, makes no difference whether they're asking about a liver disease or knee pain or sleep apnea or PCOS or whatever the thing is. Okay. Mm-hmm. The, the answer to all of those questions is weight loss doesn't guarantee a solution. And even if it did, that's not in your control to do. So, so that's fine. I mean, and we can like, you can fixate on that and be like, well, why do doctors tell me this? What is it? Okay. Well, the, okay. They just, there's so much to that, but um, you know, actionable items. This kind of goes back to what we were saying before is like, I, I'm sure that person's doctor told them to lose weight, but like, okay, how's that going for you, doctor? <laughs> We've been telling patients to lose weight for 50 years. And we collectively as a population have gotten bigger, ironically, because I would argue we have a compulsion to diet and try to lose weight that doesn't work. And then we, this weight cycling is like a real deal. What I, you know, going up, down, up, down, up, down, mm-hmm. that is terrible for your body. I mean, that is proven to increase your cardiovascular risk and your risk of osteoporosis, all this sort of stuff. Like it's so much better to have a stable weight, even if that weight is higher than you envision in your head, mm-hmm. than to go up, down, up, down, up, down forever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so back to that person's question, it's like, okay, I'm sure your doctor did tell you that, but what, like, if the answer is lose weight, what did they say after that? Like, what's the answer? Like what, how do they, uh, theoretically the doctor, like the idea of telling patients to lose weight doesn't work. And we don't have any real way to tell people to lose weight that is safe, sustainable and Mm long-term. So kind of guaranteed when it's yeah. sort of sold as a guarantee, like follow. Yeah. So it's yeah. like this, and I don't, I'm not an expert in hepatology, but you know, like maybe that person it needs to cut back on alcohol. Maybe they need to increase their fiber intake. Maybe they need to become more physically active. Maybe they need to take a medication. I don't, whatever, like mm-hmm. there's things like to do and weight loss isn't a thing to do. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah. okay, in my opinion, this is like saying, okay, this is a really really outlandish analogy, but okay. Cystic fibrosis, you know, cystic fibrosis is right. Okay. Mm -hmm. It occurs more commonly in Caucasian people. That is the gene frequency is higher. So there's more white people with CF than there is black people or Hispanic people or whatever. Okay. It is what it is. Like it just, it is. And maybe there's more 
diabetes in, in people in large bodies. Maybe there's more hepatic adenoma, but that doesn't mean we tell the, the, you know, white CF patient that they should be black. (laughs) I mean, that's preposterous, right? Because Mm -hmm. that that's not a modifiable risk. Like you just, it is what it is. So Mm-hmm. I really look at it the same way because body diversity is like an actual thing. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to make this a racial conversation, but you know, there's certain things that we assume you can't change. You can't change your age. You can't change your race. Some people believe you can't change your gender. That's uh, for discussion, you know, but then there's people who think like every fat person is just a thin person that hasn't shown up yet. Yeah. <laughs> and like, why would we think that some people are five feet tall and some people are six foot six, but everybody is supposed to be within 15 pounds of the same weight. Like that's crazy. Yeah. And if you look at the, yeah, the heritability of weight and height, it's almost the same. It's like, I don't want to quote it wrong, like 70 and 80% or something. It's like very similar data. Like there's a tiny bit of like some adaptability of like changing habits might, but it's like this yeah, tiny, and, and they, tiny bit. Well, and they study this stuff because, you know, people like end up with body shapes often that are very similar to their family members. And this is the whole nature versus nurture argument, but they've done studies with separated twins and all this sort yep. of studies co- with controls so that it, it is largely out of your control. Mm-hmm. I mean, part of it is genetic. Part of it is early environmental influences, maybe even fetal influences. There's all these things that that what you're eating for lunch today is like such a teeny tiny little sliver of that big pie chart of like things that will change my body. And there's like everything else. And then there's like what I'm eating today. (laughs) So we, but we collectively, you know, just focus on this and, and, um, I don't know. It, uh, it's sad to me because it makes patients feel disempowered. Mm-hmm. Like they're told you can control this and then you can't, it's really like the gaslighting of ultimate proportions because it's crazy making because mm-hmm. we're telling them to do this when we know in the research that it only works 2% of the time. Right. Like if you came with a sinus infection and I gave you an antibiotic that had only a one out of 50 chance of curing your sinus infection, you'd be like, no, I want something else. Can you pick something else? Like, that's crazy. We wouldn't, we wouldn't market a product that had a 2% success rate, right? Like here, would you like to buy this car? There's a 2% chance that you can drive it next year. There's a 98% chance that the wheels will fall off and you're going to be out $30,000. Like it wouldn't be, it wouldn't really works so well. And you certainly wouldn't go tell all your friends to buy one for sure. But it would be like, you go back to the car dealership and say, like the wheels fell off my car. I've only had it for three months ago. Well, you don't know how to drive. Obviously Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you screwed your car up somehow. Like that's because you reclined the seat too far. I mean, that would just be like some preposterous thing to make us feel blame for something that was going to end up that way anyway. Yeah. It shows the gaslighting of the like weight centric models and diet culture and, and weight bias that like, that's how the system thrives in that environment. Yeah. And I'm not trying to make, make light of the questions your audience is asking, because that's what they're hearing. I I believe it. That's what they're hearing. And that's what they're feeling is like, 
I just want my fill in the blank problem to go away. And all I'm hearing is lose weight. So what am I supposed to do? Like, that's the, that's really the question they're all asking. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's, you don't have to be in that crazy space. I mean, and that's the first piece is before you heal your whatever problem, like, just know that first of all, it's not your fault. Yeah. Like, and Mm -hmm. when you can kind of get your head wrapped around that, okay, now we can go to the next step, which is maybe there are some tactical things, actionable items. Let's do that. Cause like I said, it's not a free for all, like throw up your hands and nobody has to worry about anything. That's not the point, but we're really focusing on, uh, things that are out of our control. Yeah. Unhooking from the shame of believing it's your fault or this like persistent belief that it's a willpower or character flaw problem versus a system problem and a, and so being able to like unhook from that, you know, in my experience takes work and repeated messaging and like, yeah. And and then probably for this person, actually, I know for this person, like feeling really great about all the things you're already doing and, and, and still unhooking and unlearning, like you said, you're an un unlearning teacher, (laughs) but (laughs) it's like that work of, and we always think about like motivation on this podcast of like external shame-based motivation keeps us stuck and keeps us hooked into these ineffective cycles and just noticing them, naming them and bringing them to the light of day. And then being like, okay. Okay. And creating a little bit of space to then, you know, focus on some of those health promoting behaviors that are within our control, whether that's eating or exercise movement related, or just like self-care downtime related, or. Cause it's really a distract. I mean, to me, the weight conversation in the doctor's office is a huge distraction is what it is. We have got a limited interaction, a limited time, a limited sort of captive audience. And we are like squandering that with this whole conversation about weight loss. Like we just needs to not be there, but see, our system is designed. I mean, you get weighed out, probably your doctor's the same as mine. Like you get weighed in the hallway before you even go to the room. Yeah, And so it's the first thing that happens. So when it is a, like, this is what I say. I say, when it is a weight first environment, it is a weight forward environment. Mm -hmm. That's it. It it frames the whole encounter. Mm -hmm. And so I think we got to change that. And I am, you know, yeah. It's going to take a lot of people shaking a lot of trees to <laughs> change that, but I think we we got to believe that there's another way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have any tips for this is kind of another question like finding more weight inclusive providers? I don't know if I have great tips for that, oh but like gosh. just curious I if you have any that I don't know of. <laughs> I wish I did. No, there is a um and I'll give you the link. There's a sort of online repository of a health at every yeah. size providers, but it's not it doesn't have that many people in it cuz for yeah. example, I looked up just out of my own curiosity like Texas and there was like two people. I mean, come on. We have like so, yeah. basically none in the physician category and I I swear I applied for it and I maybe I I don't know. I don't think I ever got on it. So I don't know that. I don't know. If yeah. It's, updated, it's not complete. Yes. It's not updated. And, and to be honest, there's a little bit of um, reticence on providers to brand themselves like this because it is extremely countercultural to our professional training. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. like, it's not a comfortable place for a doctor or a psychologist or a physical therapist or whoever to be the one saying like, no, I'm doing something different than all the rest of y'all. 
Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. yes. So I think there's some like health at every size, uh, like, you know, just below the surface level people out there, but it's, yeah, it's hard to find. There is a lot more dietitians. I will tell you, you will have far better luck finding a haze aligned dietitian. And you could always, even if you're not using their services, you could potentially see who they refer to, uh, who they work with in their sort of network of peers. That's a, another way to get some ideas, but yeah, yeah. It's a lot of grassroots hunting at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Health at every size, intuitive eating often, um, anti-diet, non-diet, those are probably non-diet, the weight, inclusive, weight inclusive, weight inclusive. Yeah. 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 Body neutral. Yes. Um, that's another term. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard. It is hard. It's a work in progress. Certainly I'm trying to build a list, but it's uh, also similar. It sounds like we've had very similar experiences. Yeah. Mostly, mostly a lot of dietitians and at least with dietitians, you can also often work across state lines, which helps the access. Right. Um, Cause that's also an issue. Uh, with, yes. So at least oh, with yes. our more education based businesses, we can do a little bit of work. And it sounds like you're doing that in your coaching programs, this, this work, um, which is great. That's right. The great thing about not always being confined to just our licenses and what we can do. Right. Well, in that state. way, it's, I mean, it, it's kind of like portable education, right? I mean, that's what I, I view my job is as educating and empowering and giving the people that I work with or that listen to me like a tool set that they can then take to all these variety of encounters because they're going to have these encounters. I mean, that's, I I can't fix that immediately. Like I'm working on it, but that's going to like take a minute. Um, Mm -hmm. so being able to be resilient and, and going to going, I, like, like I said, the, the worst thing is you, for you to just say, I'm not, Hey doctors, I'm never going, you know, like that's terrible. Like I don't advise that for anybody. So here's some ideas on how to navigate a perhaps little adverse environment, but still participate. Yeah. Go in, get what you need, go out and hopefully take it too personally. Yeah. Right. And build up other resources that can sort of undo and unlearn that damage and surround yourself with more of that. it is a lot of damage control, unfortunately, you know, yeah. and, and it's, it's hard. I don't, I, like I said, I don't want to, I'm not blaming the individual people that are doctors. Cause I was that person for 15 years. It's, it's how we are trained. It's how we're set up to practice. It's what the belief system is, the culture of medicine. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. That's um, tough. Well, let's see. I think I asked most of, I think this, I think we really were able to cover I had one other question about like weight loss and sort of like some of the other health conditions like heart disease, diabetes, cancer. But I kind of feel like we answered that a bit of like, again, looking at like kind of similar questions. Would you, or answers, would you agree of sort of looking at like, how would the doctor make that recommendation for someone in a smaller body? Right. And sort of helping maybe to ask that question from the doctor, but also again, just focusing on controllable actions versus outcome. Right. Cause yeah. in summary, here's the summary to all the questions. Cause it can be fill in the blank, whatever healthcare problem you have. There is no disease or disorder that occurs exclusively in people in large bodies. Not one, not one, not sleep apnea, not arthritis, not reflux, not PCOS, not nothing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number two, there is no condition where weight loss is the only answer to that problem. 
-hmm. none. Mm -hmm. So that being said, like any person in any size needs to hear all the possible answers. Okay. And I would say, you know, your doctor is going to throw weight loss on the list of possible solutions. Well, okay, I guess, but that that's not an action. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's like a, like, like you have to dissect that a little further. Um, and so the pursuit of weight loss doesn't work. I'm not opposed to weight loss. If it happens, that's, that's the other misunderstanding is that I'm saying Mm -hmm. everybody should be big and stay big or get bigger or whatever. I don't care if you lose weight or gain weight or stay the same weight. I actually, what I'm saying is that it makes no difference. What I'm saying is that if you want to measure your blood glucose and your blood pressure and your exercise endurance and your sleep quality and your emotional state and your, I mean, all the zillions of things we can measure about the human body that are like actual measurable things, like, let's just work off that list. And if you've got all those things, like, I'm not worried about you. And, and the problem is that, I mean, the people in large bodies are the most disserviced by this system, but I will tell you that we are missing a lot of problems in thin people mm-hmm. because they're a quote, normal weight. They get like a green light, a pat on the back. In fact, sometimes we are congratulating or praising chronic disease, drug addiction, eating disorders, who knows, right in front of our faces because they quote, you know, are normal. And, yeah. and so now they're not dealing with the body stigma of the people in larger bodies. So it's, I'm not comparing them to sort of apples and oranges, but, mm-hmm. but the point of that comment is that talking about weight is actually a really terrible proxy for talking about health. And it is terrible in both extremes. Yeah. It's bad for all of us. So if it's not good for the big people and it's not good for the small people, what is the, can we just not talk about it? That's all I'm asking is like, let's just not talk about it. Like we should be talking about cardiac health and exercise endurance and, and diabetes risk and, uh, you know, fall risk and mental health and all this stuff with every person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. The same way yeah. that we do with men and women and black and white people and tall people and short people and people with blue eyes and people with green eyes, like same thing, no different, no different, right. Yeah. Poor people and rich people. There's no, it makes like the practice of medicine should be like separated from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like an acceptable bias. Like it's, it's acceptable and reinforced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, like, once you look at it that way, then you're like, Oh ee, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, tricky. yeah. And it, it's so, and it just pervades all the systems. And so, yeah, being able to like yeah. pull it out, see it for what it is can be hard. And also, and really empowering and right. also free up so many resources towards more effective things. So, cause this is a healthcare system, not a size care system. Yes. Right. I mean, if we're going to talk about health, let's talk about health. That's fine. Yeah. And we can find people that are healthy in all sizes and unhealthy in all sizes. Like that's fine, but we're making it into a size care system. Mm-hmm. And then our pursuit is smallness. Mm-hmm. That makes no difference to me. Yeah. Like, I'll tell yeah. you what, you want to know the lowest adult weight that I've had? Guess what I had? Cancer. <laughs> um, yep. So 
would I rather be in that body with cancer or my current body without cancer? Well, if you ask anybody who's ever had cancer, there is only one answer to that question. So like, let's just kind of like, leave it alone. (laughs) Yes. That's why it seems like a simple ask. It really, when you say it like that, and I'm not mad, I just am kind of perplexed, I think is a better word because we cannot let go of it. We, Mm -hmm. the medical Mm -hmm. institution just cannot, cannot let it go. Mm -hmm. We're obsessed with it. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Have you started to delve into that side of things, like trying to talk with the medical community about these topics? Well, I, I am on a like miniature scale. I mean, you know, person to person, peer to peer, I'm having these conversations. Uh, I have not like, you know, been invited on stage at the AMA national meeting to maybe one day. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe one day it's, um, there's a lot of acceptance that's going to have to get a lot of, um, humble pie will have to be eaten by a lot of doctors, but, uh, you know, I like, I would love to change the industry. I want to make sure the patients survive that long and can navigate the system like next week. You know, I mean, my daughter in 30 years, I hope she doesn't have this problem. But I hope that you and your listeners who have to go next week to get a mammogram or whatever, like can deal with it next Tuesday. Yep. You know, it's yeah. um very, to me, it's very like boots on the ground kind of work. Yes. Uh, but I love it. I love it. And it's, it's very um, important. It's important. It's important. And people are freed. I mean, they really feel like what, like I said, when you see the other side of this wall or you're out of this matrix you, you will not ever see it the same again, ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is very freeing in many ways. I often say like this past year, um, officially leaving healthcare, although I learned about this approach many years prior, but it's hard to like do it in the yeah. system, right? So being fully free for a year professionally and even personally, personally, I didn't, wasn't personally struggling much, but actually just like the freedom to sort of be open and the freedom to, talk about these things. Like it's, it benefits definitely all body sizes. Um, certainly I can speak from my experience, but just feeling more effective professionally, but also personally, like just like not being res- overly, f- I-, I wasn't even focused on weight, but like just being very free to be like, yeah, weight fluctuates, like it's fine. And, and just like live my life we and are, really yeah, focus on much, what matters. Well, yeah. And I, I particularly, you know, work with women and, um, the amount of mental and emotional bandwidth and time that we devote in energy to this body management phenomena, whatever, whether, whatever size body you're in, you're either trying to change it or you're trying to manage it. I mean, there's very few people who are giving no thought to this, right? Mm -hmm. So what if we had all that time and energy and mental space back? Like, what could we do as a group? Like some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Like that's, yeah, we're being distracted and kept small because this is like made to put us that way. I mean, the, to me, the, the overt message is stay small, get smaller. But I think the read between the lines message is, Hey, if we have you in this little chasing your tail situation for your whole entire life, like maybe you won't go to the C-suite of your business. Maybe you won't, you know, run for public office. Maybe you won't do this or that. Like it's, it's a total 
never ending thing. And every single woman who's listening to this understands that because they have been doing it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why it never ends. And you're not the only one it never ends for. It never ends for anybody. Like right. if there was something that worked, do you not seriously think we would not have all already done it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We would have paid our money in 1984 and it would be over by now. <laughs> right. We would have done the thing in capital the, you know, and it would be a non-conversation. The fact mm-hmm. that there is all this conflict and people are so confused. Like, These people want me to be a vegan. These people want me to be a carnivore. They say, eat eggs, don't eat eggs, eat the yolk, eat the white, don't eat any of it. You know, well, the fact that there's so many discrepant perspectives, that is the evidence that there's not one way. Mm-hmm. I mean, there just mm-hmm. is, there's not one way to eat. There's not one food. There's not one food that will kill you. There's not one food that will save you. It's not that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we just let go of the belief system that it all has to be micromanaged, that it all has to be uniform, that it, we have to be so compliant and rigid and negate every other aspect of our lives to pursue this body management practice, like you're just over it. I mean, just over yeah. it. Maybe I'm in middle age or whatever you want to call it. And it's like, I have better things to do. Like, yeah. I just have better to do then yeah and actually around. that's a good um transition to some of our wrap-up questions and I actually this week um I asked a couple questions at the end of every episode and this week I just added one and I feel like you're touching exactly on it so I'll share it Ooh, now. I'm so excited okay yes yes so a big part of my mission behind the scenes I have kind of like a mission written out and I share it with my team uh, in my business and on this podcast is teaching women to reclaim trust with their bodies so that they can live more courageous and connected lives. I, I very strongly believe that as we get out of these cycles, we can show up in different ways in our lives. And I believe we need more people in general to do that, but particularly women, because women are more affected by this also. And so I'm wondering if you can share one or two areas where you feel like you've been able to be more courageous or connected since jumping out of this ineffective cycle we're talking about? Well, like personally me, mm-hmm. well, I will tell you what, so, and I know this is a podcast, so people can't see me, but I'm in a, what would be a described as a plus size body. Okay. Not a, a extremely marginalized large body, but I am not a straight size. All right. And I hesitated opening my mouth to talk about nutrition and eating and food because I thought nobody will believe me. Cause I don't, I'm not the quote picture of health, but then I had to think like, wait a second. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that there is no picture of health, that there is not one visual that represents health. So if I'm going to teach that, then I need to be that. And it's fine that I, you know, am the size I am and I'm comfortable. And since I've stopped this diet craziness, my weight has not gone up, down, up, down, up, down, like it did for a zillion decades. So Mm -hmm. like, it really works. Like, I feel like I'm doing what I'm telling other people to do and showing up authentically. I mean, yes, I am a doctor. Yes. I have a master's degree in nutrition and guess what? I don't wear a little tiny size, whatever pants, you know? Yeah. And not being afraid to share your knowledge. Yeah, exactly. And because mm-hmm. I think this is, this is right. You know, mm-hmm. I think it's, I'm doing what I'm doing with integrity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And not, yeah, I just always made me hesitate. I always, cause I was the one that like thought I, well, I'm not the one, everybody thinks this, but like I was doing it wrong. 
right? Like, oh yeah, keto works. I'm just doing it wrong or such and such works. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. no, Mm -hmm. no, you're not doing it wrong. You're not doing it wrong. You're not doing it wrong. It is not designed to be right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The human body works. Let's just all be humble for a second. The body is totally magnificent and cool. And whether you believe in divine design or whether you just believe in some doggone good engineering, like it works. Like the default condition is working good Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it is smarter and has a action and reaction to every split second thing going on in every cell. You and I and and every doctor on the planet is not going to be able to micromanage that. Like we were not supposed to do that. The body works so that it works without us having to do that. So we can do something else. Yeah. So like kind of let it go, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Being able to show up more courageously with like within your purpose, but it sounds like you're just feeling more connected to like the work you were meant to do. Yeah. This is what I like. I love, I went into medicine because I think the human body is fascinating. Yeah. And the more I think I know about it, the more I realize I actually don't know about it and how none of us actually know how it works and that it doesn't matter mm-hmm. that it's designed to work. Cause if it didn't work, we would be dead as a species. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. bottom line is it, you know, this whole business, uh, the one thing that this is, this is another, I'll say it for you, be in my bonnet. Um, <laughs> this whole crap about alkanol, alkalinizing your food or eating, drinking alkaline water or changing your pH or something like Oh my word, y'all, that is like physiology 101. Like the human body has a pH and it varies so little, so little. There is 0% chance that you drinking some $8 bottle of water that's got bicarb in it or something is going to change your pH. We spend all of our time in the medical ICU trying to make people's pH not change because if your pH changes, you die. Oh, wow. So yeah. the body works. The body's smarter than any doctor. It just is. And it will be forever. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I just appreciate that more now than I think I used to. Yes. I, I love that. And, um, and so in terms of our intrinsic motivation question, what's one thing you have truly intrinsic motivation for? So you do it for the inherent satisfaction from the behavior. You enjoy it, find it challenging and or satisfying in its own right. Well, okay. I will tell you, I have a pretty diverse diet. I mean, I will eat just about anything. I love cooking. Mm -hmm. So to me, the motivation of incorporating new foods is like no problem. Like it's like, you should eat more vegetables. Well, fantastic. So I go to the grocery store and literally pick something up that I've never had. Like, have you ever had grilled bok choy? Well, I don't know, but I'm going to do it. So you buy a bok choy and you cut it in half and you put olive oil on it and you put it on the grill and you just see what happens because the worst that happens is it's not that good. And you don't have it again, like food. I'm not scared of food. And yeah. so to me, the motivation, because part of learning how to intuitively eat and be free with food is that you have to allow foods. If there's only like five things that you will ever eat, it's hard to be very open-minded about things because there's, that's not a very big uh, option. You know, there's not a lot of options. So the more creative and open-minded and just like, it's just a lot of people are scared to try things. And I don't know if it's just like, I've never done that. I don't know. Like, okay. It's not a living. And I guess this, you know, I, 
I'm in the business of like saving human life and like, you cannot screw up. Like you just can't screw up, but you know what, if you grill the bok choy and it sucks, then don't do it again. Like you just lost two and a half dollars worth of bok choy. Like it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. You just, you know, people are afraid to get in the, get into the food and this whole undieting approach will be easier if you're willing to kind of get your hands dirty with some food. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of people eat restaurant food and get takeout food because of this. Like, I mean, yeah, I know there's a convenience issue and I don't have time and I, whatever, but part of it, at least for some people is a fear of dealing with food. So I, that's a little like side thing that I like to do in my, I'm not a chef. I don't, I don't teach cooking classes or anything, but I really spend a lot of time talking about food to my clients because you have to like you, that's the point of interface. You know, we can talk about mindset all day till kingdom come, but like you have to actually put something in your refrigerator. Yeah. How does it interface with your eating your food and your behavior? And yes. Oh, well, that's that's great. Yeah. I like, so I like that. So I'm intrinsically, intrinsically, I guess I'm also extrinsically motivated by food. (laughs) Yeah. That's always, it's never just one type, but it does sound like there's an intrinsic motivation to like curiosity and drive to try and experiment. And And I will tell you, people have always said like, okay, if, if being a physician was not a profession and you could not do it, what would you have done? I would have gone to culinary school in a minute. In fact, I still might do it. I haven't ruled it out. Cause like I said, I'm an Enneagram three and we do crazy stuff like that. So <laughs> there you go. I get it. Um, well in the interest of time, cause I know you gotta, uh, I believe pick up your kids, um, where thank I mean, first of all, thank you so much for today. Where can people learn more about the work that you're doing, connect with you? I know you got a podcast. So like tell people all the things and where they should go. Yes. All the things. Well, the, the easiest thing. So Maggie Landis MD is my mm-hmm. handle. I'm the most active on Instagram and Facebook. I have a private Facebook group that is free for women. Um, I also have a podcast called the eat fluencer podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really clever when I made it, it up is. and I'm like, it's hard to say, I should have probably made up something else, but whatever. I uh, did the, the same e- thing with my name. <laughs> I was like, it kind of has, you have to add the subtitle. It's kind of long, but you, you do what you do. Yes. The Influencer podcast. And I have, um, 60 something episodes. I've been doing it a little over a year. Um, and then there's this other cool thing, which is not mine, but I want to let everybody know this undiet your mind app that was just released really, truly a week ago when we're recording this a week ago, it's a app that is a group of anti-diet, non-diet haze aligned content creators fitness professionals, doctors, psychologists, um, eating disordered people, you know, body positive advocates, all this stuff. Like think of a Facebook group without Facebook. So there's audio content, there's live events, there's a community platform. Um, anyway, if you go to my, uh, Instagram links, I've got some information on that, but it's new. So I'm like the most excited at this current moment in time about that, because it's like, you want to talk to other people and not feel like, well, is this Maggie just like a crazy person? Or is this one fitness professional who's doesn't, you know, measure their patients? Are they like nutso or whatever? Like, Mm -hmm. no, there's a whole bunch of people. And so this kind of does the curating for you is the best part. 
So, that sounds awesome. I'll have to check that out. So I think yeah. I thought it in your emails, but I haven't had a chance yet. Absolutely. So. Well, and you have show notes for your podcast. I'll give you my yes. uh, link and people can just click on that. That'll oh work. yeah. We'll link it all um, in the, the show notes and the blog post. So wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This has been really fun and I feel like we could talk forever, but thank you so much for <laughs> being here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.